This is going to be different today. Normally, you know, I try to make it as light as possible, and even though we tell you as many stories as we can. But something has occurred that um, I want to share with you and then ask you to do something for me. And it has nothing to do with finances. But I, I want you... For, well, let me show you Dottie's picture. Go on. i got to show you Dottie's picture. That was last week. And... Uh, So that's the two oldest bride and groom you've ever seen, I'm sure. <laughs> but that was our 50th wedding anniversary we celebrated last last uh, week. And you can't see this too good, but the next picture is is a banner that the girls made for us. And uh, the the picture on your left, or my left, is actually our first wedding 50 years ago. And then that's us now. And if you dye Dottie's hair black... It looked like the same girl. She she married a man way older than, than she was. But I had to get that out of the way. Okay, so many people from Lafayette said, please bring a picture and that's it. Go on. I want to share something with you. And if you were here last year, you're going to say, well, that's what he talked about last year. But I want to challenge you today with a thought. Uh, a couple of years ago was the most heartbreaking, heart-wrenching situation that Dottie and I have ever gone through. Um, We've only buried 19 children, and when you think of only 19 have died uh, out of 4,300 children, that's a pretty remarkable feat in itself that that God has, because so many of them come to us sick and beaten and, and abused. But I'm dedicating this to four of our children, the four most recent deaths that we've had, and it's all been within the last two years. And that's Anthony and Maritza and Sergio and Lewis. But there's a reason that I want to share this with you. And you may remember last week, last year when I shared this story with you, but I, I want to tell you that God takes some of the worst suffering that any human being could ever imagine, and He can turn it to the good. God can make something positive out of something that we think is absolutely impossible to be positive. And so I want to tell you about a miracle that is taking place and how I need your help concerning that miracle. But go on, Dot. You may remember last year I shared with you about Anthony. The doctors called me from the hospital there in Guatemala City And they told me that they had a little four-year-old boy that was um, needing a kidney and that both of his kidneys had quit functioning and dialysis was not helping him very much. It was keeping him alive, but he was in constant pain. And his family had just left him at the doorsteps of the hospital, wouldn't have anything to do with him, wouldn't even get tested to see if they could donate a kidney or anything. They just threw him away. And the doctor said, Mike, would you take him? And my thought was that, uh, and I told the doctor, I'm very close with this doctor, and I told him that uh, we've, whenever a child comes to us, it's very difficult for us when we know that they're going to die. And when one is that young, it's really difficult for us, and it affects the children so, so much. And uh, so I said, let me think about it. And he said, would you come and pray for the little boy? So he's a very sneaky doctor. So I went up to the to the hospital, Dottie and I, and when we got into the little boy's room, he was absolutely covered with tubes and all the stuff. And 
And uh, as I put my hands through the bars to just touch him on the chest to pray for him, the Lord spoke to me and said, Mike, do not let him die in a hospital alone and without the Lord. And so the doctor waited a few minutes, then he came back in and he said, are you going to take him? He knew I would. So we took him home and this child was just as sweet and just the the sweetest kids you could ever imagine, four years old, and everybody fell in love with him. And I think I told you last year he committed one sin in his short life, and that was one of the men taught him how to say roll tide. And uh, so every time he'd see me, he'd say roll tide. And, uh, but I let him do it anyway. But he was always in pain, and they had to carry him everywhere he went. And each time he would see me, you know, Adam normally was the one who graduated from Alabama. He was the one that normally was carrying him. And Adam would say, there's Poppy. And so he'd look at me like that and he'd get this great, he had the biggest smile you can imagine. He'd just smile and he was in such pain. And he'd say, roll tide. And then he'd say, Daddy, I'm so thirsty. And we couldn't give him water. We could only give him, a, a, actually, believe it or not, they told us to limit it to less than an ounce a day of liquid because his he was not functioning. He was in such pain. And I, of course, I couldn't give him any water. And I'd go back to my room and I'd, I'd just br- break down because he was hurting so badly. And then he died. And when he died, um, I, I've, you know, gone through the experience of losing children. And Daddy and I, of course, lost our first three children. So uh, if you've ever lost a child, it, it's something that is, there's nothing to compare with it. It is just so devastating to lose a child. But this child was so special to everybody that it was horrible for everybody. The kids cried and wept. And the funeral was the most difficult time that I've ever had, you know, of trying to minister to our children. And so many of the kids said, Daddy, why did he die? Why didn't God heal him? You know, why didn't God answer our prayers? And and uh, and you know how difficult that is as a, as a Christian to understand the mind of God. And so after he, he, we buried him for two weeks, I, I was just devastated. I was just absolutely, totally devastated. I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. And I'd get in bed and every time I'd try to shut my eyes, I'd see him saying, Daddy, I'm so thirsty. And then one day, actually at four in the morning, we have a young man by the name of Aroldo, who is one of the boys that we raised that's graduated. He's an, a registered nurse. And he takes care of all of the needs, you know, like giving the medications and all of that uh, to all of the children. And if somebody gets sick at night, you know, they go to him first. And then if he needs me, he calls me. So at four o'clock in the morning, Aroldo knocks on my door. And when I opened the door and I saw it was Aroldo, I said, well, Aroldo, let me get my pants, you know, and we'll go to the hospital. Because I thought he had a child need to go to the hospital. That's the only time he would wake me up like that. And he said, Daddy, I don't, I, don't have, I'm not, I don't have a child to take to the hospital. I need to tell you something. And I said, what's that? He said, well, I was sound asleep, and I heard a voice, and it, it just said, Aroldo, Aroldo. So I thought it was somebody at the door, sick, and I went to the door, and I opened the door, and nobody was there. So I went back to bed, and a few minutes later, I heard it again. So I went to the door again, and nobody was there. So I went to the this is the college dorm. So I went to the college rooms, the dorm rooms, and all the boys were in bed. So I knew nobody was playing a joke. 
And then I remembered the story of uh, Eli and Samuel. And I knew God was trying to tell me something. So I went back to bed. And all of a sudden, you know, a few minutes later, I heard a roldo, a roldo. And I opened my eyes thinking that, you know, he didn't, he'd never had a vision or anything like that. And he couldn't even explain to me what he saw. But he said, Daddy, I saw a roldo. And I said, Aroldo, what's wrong? And he, he said, go wake up Daddy. Go wake up Poppy. And Aroldo said, well, I'm not going to go wake up Poppy. It's, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Why do you want me to wake up Poppy? And Anthony in heaven had his arm behind his back like this. And he pulled out from behind his back a gallon jug of water. And he said, you go tell Daddy that Jesus has given me the living water. And I'm not thirsty. And he needs to quit crying. So, of course, that released me, and it released a lot of the kids. But the pain was still there. And less than three weeks later, I get another call, and the doctor says, Mike, we have a, a little 11-year-old boy. His name is Sergio, and uh, he's in the same condition, and he's not going to live. Could you take him? And so I was explaining to the doctor the pain that we had all gone through, and the girls especially, that it worked with him, and how difficult it was for them. But one of the girls was in my office when I was talking on the phone, and I'm going to show you her picture in a moment. She said, Daddy, don't let him die in a hospital, alone and without Jesus. So I took the little boy, and gone. eventually we took three. And this is Maritza. She died at 12 years of age. And this is Sergio, and he died at 11. And this is Louis, and he died at 11. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. All of these children, these three older children, died born again. They were saved. And when I went to the hospital, you could, you know, this is before he died, of course. You know, he wasn't really that sick at this moment. But I had gone to the hospital and uh, to see him because they told us he wasn't going to live but an hour or so more. So Dottie and I were in the hospital, and they let me go into the room with him. And, and uh, Dottie prayed from the outside. And I just wanted to make sure that he knew Jesus, that he knew that he was saved. And so when I walked in there, I, I told him, I said, son... You know, uh, do you know, are you saved or something along that line? And he, and he said, Daddy, I'm going up. <laughs> and when I go up, I'm going to see Sergio and I'm going to see Maritza and I'm going to see Anthony and I'm going to wait for you. And I, I'm telling you that story because of something that has just occurred, something that has just happened. It could be the most transforming thing that has ever happened in our ministry in Guatemala. Currently, we have taken some other children and going to show them the pictures, Donnie. This is uh, Jose, Jose and uh, Louis and Cindy. And you can see the, the little dialysis machine on the, on the right. Um, we hook him up. All, he's hooked eight hours a night on the machine. And uh, it's our goal to be able to have six machines, six girls, six or oh, twelve, six girls, six boys, and do that. Um, the next picture is Aroldo, the boy that heard the voice of the Lord. And then the next picture, this is another Luis, okay? He's Luis Fernando. And uh, he 
he has what is called um, Falcone anemia, which is a pre-cancer, bone cancer. And he's a little bitty thing. He's about 10 years old. He's fat, as you can see, because we have to give him high doses of steroids every day. Then, go on. This is Gabby. If you can look at her legs, you can tell she's not able to stand. She's on. Um, she's a cerebral palsy. Uh, this little girl was told she didn't live with us, and she was told by the public school system that since she was crippled, she had to be stupid, and they didn't want her in school, so they kicked her out of school. And some of our children heard about it, so they brought her to me, and we put her in our school. And this is her. Uh, no one has suffered more than that little girl has suffered in her life. Her father committed suicide in front of her. Um, she's really been, you know, through things. She went blind. If you read our blog, blog, she went blind, and she was blind for five months, totally blind. And uh, we had some visitors came to our house, and I took them to see her. And they asked her, what would you like us to buy you? Is there anything special that you want? You know, and they were going to buy her anything she wanted. And she said, would you get me the Bible on cassette? And she listened to the Bible on cassette for a number of weeks. And one day walked into my house and could see me just as clear as I can see you right now. So, but she's a miracle child. And then, these, this is our team that works with the, with the cancer and the, the dialysis kids. Go on. I want to tell you about three girls. And these are... You know, the wonderful thing about God is when you think you have God figured out, you know, He comes in from another door altogether. And just like my classmates would tell you, I was probably the least likely to be doing what I'm doing. These three girls are the least likely that I would have chosen. If I'd have said, oh, these are the girls that I want to work with these sick kids, they, weren't, they, they wouldn't be the ones I'd have chosen. The girl in the blue on the right has no family. She has one distant relative, a cousin or something of that nature. You can see how beautiful she is. Um, she is the girl that took care of Anthony, and she's the one that said, Daddy, don't let Lewis die in a hospital. So she's the one that God used to motivate me to continue taking children that were ill. The girl on the left is, is uh, Rosario. The rosary, if you're uh, Spanish, that's rosary in, in Spanish, rosario. And uh, she was so bad. She's, I, I have back problems, and uh, she's the reason. She weighed, I weighed her. She weighs 81 pounds. But she jumped on me one day from behind, and my back has been hurting for seven years <laughs> since then. But rosario was so bad. She ran away from us, you know, just said she hated us, didn't want to have anything to do with us, and didn't want to study anymore, didn't want to hear the Bible, didn't want to hear the Word, and all of that. And three weeks later, she came back and asked me to forgive her. And the girl in the middle is Marilyn. Now, they're all in college now. All three of these girls are in college. They're all doing well. And Marilyn is uh, almost a straight-A student. She's a very, very smart girl. She was abused. She was raped by her father and abused tremendously before she came to our home. Now, the reason I show you that picture is, go on, each of them have adopted one of our dialysis kids. 
And you'll see Rosario is on the left, and she's with Marjorie. And the girl in the middle, Marilyn, is there with uh, Wendy. And then on the right is Cindy, and she's with Roxana. I'll get back up there. What, is that doing that? Is that because I'm in front of a speaker or something? So anyway, but they live with those children. They, they sleep with the kids. They each have adopted one of them, so to speak. They do their homework. They do all of, everything for them and with them. They make sure they do dialysis. They make sure they get their medication. They cook for them because they have to have a special diet. They cook for the little boy that I showed you a moment ago and, of course, the two boys on dialysis. So they're cooking for six special needs kids. But one of the things that I've discovered in my years in Guatemala is just how, in fact, Pastor Todd after we were through this morning, came and said that the scripture in Corinthians, where it talks about you and I are comforted of God so that we can comfort someone else. That's what I have seen dramatically in my home, is how the children love each other and how they minister to each other. And it, it, some of you have been to our home, and there's no way two people could do what is happening at, at Casa. It's impossible. No, no two human beings on earth could do that. But because of the large number of children that love God and love one another, you know, and have this tremendous compassion and have been comforted of God, then they turn around and they minister to one another. Go on. What we're doing now, this is where I'm going to start talking to you about what you can do for me. This is our office building. We've just built it. It's almost totally finished. It's very close to being finished. Some of you know Farrell Woods from Gaydon. And Farrell and he brought a team down last week, and they put in all the walls in downstairs. And by the time I get home, all of our office will, offices will be moved into that one building. Now, that building is sitting right next to my house by the water tower, for those of you that have visited. And on the other side of it is our clinic. But go back, go on one more, Dottie. This is our current office. The yellow building is our current office. And we have devised plans, and we are turning this yellow building into a, a dialysis critical care unit for all of our children that are critically ill. We have a number of them that are ill, but they're not critically ill. But we do have these six that are extremely ill and unless God works a miracle, they're not going to be able to live, you know, uh, without that miracle. Because uh, kidneys are impossible to match in Guatemala for the most part. So this is where we are right now. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. I'm going to tell you uh, one story that is, is only an introduction to what I'm about to tell you. But the Ronald McDonald house in Guatemala City called me. And they have a little boy that has to have a kidney, and his father is capable of giving the kidney. It's a match. So we're so excited about that because most of the children we deal with are throwaways. They're, they're thrown away. So we don't have family members that can give kidneys. That's why it's so impossible. But this little boy is only, I think he's like 10 or 11, and he's, his father is going to donate the kidney. The problem is... They live in the western jungles of Guatemala, and they live on a dirt floor, 
with the dirt walls, you know, adobe type walls and that kind of thing. And those of you that know about kidney transplants, dirt will kill you faster than just about anything. Um, so they cannot do the transplant and send him back to that environment. So Ronald McDonald has agreed they're going to take the boy after surgery and keep him for three months in the Ronald McDonald house in Guatemala City. At the end of three months, they're going to send him to us for a year. They're going to pay all the expenses, all the dialysis needs, all the medication, all of the first time we've ever had anybody in Guatemala want to help us in that way. And so they're going to take care of all the needs for this one child. But in order for him to come to our home, we have to have this building ready because we don't have room where the kids are currently doing dialysis. But I want you to listen how God took a crushed heart, how he took a damaged, you know, bunch of teenagers at my home and what God has just done. And part of it, a big part of it is due to some of the women that are sitting on that second row. They put an article in the paper in Alexandria about their visit to Casa. An ex-representative, uh, Louisiana State representative of 20 years, who happens to be a medical physician uh, that I knew briefly because he was a uh, he was leaving. I was playing football at Bunky High School in eighth grade, and he was a senior, so we were just, that's all that. He didn't know me from Adam. But he read the article. And he has what is called telemedicina, medicine, telemedicina, it's not but telemedicine, which is where you take a computer and you have all of the, everything you need, including EKGs, uh, all, all, all the equipment, everything you need. And you have it in a, in a mobile unit and you take it into rural areas of North Louisiana and you hook people up on the, on that, those machines and it's read immediately at LSU Shreveport Medical Center and they diagnose people and, and of course give what is necessary. Well, Dr. Hines, asked me if I would be interested in doing such a thing in, in, for CASA. And, of course, my first thought when he said that was, we have, if, if you are raising 450 kids, you have a lot of children fall. You have a lot of children that get ill. You know, I mean, when we get measles, I make everybody kiss everybody so we can just get measles and get them out of the way. You know, so if you come there and you ain't had chicken pox, we'll kiss you and you'll get it, you know, because we we'd get them all through. But we have children that fall. We have babies that fall. And so we can immediately know if there's a concussion. We can know immediately if there's a broken bone. We can know immediately. All of these children that are with these kidney problems, you have to, you have to monitor their potassium level. You have to monitor other levels of things in their body. We can do that that way. Now, I thought that was pretty nice for him to offer such a thing. And then I got the... You, you ever get life-changing phone calls? Then I got the life-changing phone call. The chancellor of 
LSU, New Orleans, called. And he and the dean of the LSU Medical School in New Orleans will meet with me tomorrow morning. They've invited me to meet with them for four and a half hours. They want to do this for CASA. They want to do it. Tens of thousands of dollars have already been raised without me even knowing they were doing it. The University of Georgia has gotten involved. The University of Florida, where I graduated at Florida, has two physicians there are going to start a kidney bank for our kids using the Spanish population of southern Florida. So tomorrow morning, Daddy and I will meet with them in their offices for 45 minutes. Then they want me to speak to all of their uh, student, medical students. And then they want to have some other things for Daddy and I to do with them tomorrow. Now, here's why I need you. I don't want to go in there and act like I know anything about medicine. I want to tell them about Jesus. And I want to tell them about why we're in Guatemala and why these things are happening and what I desire to see done. You know, the the possibility is unlimited as to what God can do. One of the things I was thinking about was that we have 200 children, 200 children that need kidney transplants that are abused and abandoned. That's not normal. That's the ones that nobody loves them, nobody wants them. We can check every one of them. We can diagnose them all. There's so many other things that we can do. We have an AIDS clinic right down the road from us that has nothing but infants. Nothing but infants. 30 to 45 infants with AIDS. And we can monitor all of them and keep them in the right direction for at least some period of time. There's just so much that can be done through something like this. It's mind-boggling what God can do. So why do I need you? I'm going to ask you a favor. I'm going to ask you to give up one meal, either tonight, tomorrow morning, or noon tomorrow, and take that time and pray that God will anoint Dottie and I, that God will open their eyes to the need. See, my thought is, my desire is that when they see what God has done, when they hear of how many children we're dealing with, these men are going to want to say, why? Why are there so many children with those kidney diseases? And I'm believing God that they're going to be able to come and do studies in Guatemala to prevent this type of thing in the future, find the root, the source of why so many children in Guatemala are dying from kidney problems. And if you will pray with me, if you will just stand one meal, just one meal, and spend that 30 minutes praying that God would open the doors. You know, God's not limited to anything. But I never would have dreamed of this. I never would have thought of this. And I'm doing a lot better this time because I cried through the whole first service, but I'm determined not to cry right now. But I cried so hard 
when that little boy died. And I even told Daddy, why? You know, why? And now I know why. Because that little boy touched us, touched our girls, and have touched a lot of other people. And now God is kicking down doors. Not to bring Anthony back, but to be able to bring blessings to hundreds of Anthony's in the future. And I need your help. Go on, Donnie. These are the ones that are on dialysis at our house. And you can look at them. They're just as cute as they can be. Uh, the little boy with the cancer is in the middle, but the others are scattered around there. They're in the trees. <laughs> but uh, they're so cute. And the little girl in the front, her name is Cindy. And every time she goes to the city, every time she goes to court or to the doctor, or, or they even bring her out to eat at McDonald's or whatever, uh, they... She wears a princess dress all, everywhere she goes. She has a little se- a crown. She has a scepter, high heels, you know, the whole thing. She goes everywhere. And the, and the uh, people always ask her, why are you dressed like a princess? And she says, because I'm daddy's little princess. And uh, she's just a most precious thing, just most precious thing. And, and even though we know what the diagnosis is and we know what the outcome is possible, uh, to know that these children know the Lord, to know that they're going to be there can be a whole section of those kids in heaven one day, you know, waiting for the next generations. Dot. And this is Edgar. He has one leg. He's one of our special needs kids also. Uh, but here he is with his artificial leg. And uh, we call him the robot because he can kick with that metal leg. He can put a soccer ball through a door. I mean, he can knock a door down. He is a strong. Kids don't like to play with him now that he's got that artificial leg because you know, it's it's metal bat on that, on that soccer ball. But uh, he was, oh, and I, I got to tell you a miracle about him too. Judge called me just two weeks ago and said, you remember the boy that, you know, was hurt in that accident? They, a man ran over him. He was begging in the street, and the man tried to miss him and hit his brake and skidded over and took his leg off. And uh, so that was, he, he was like five years old. Now he's about 10 or 11. And... uh but the judge called me and said, uh, the insurance company is settling. You know, they didn't even know the man had insurance, but he's settling. They're not going to give the money to the mother and they're not going to give the money to me. What they're going to do is they're putting it in an account. He doesn't even know that he has all this money. And so someday when he's ready to go to college, you know, and everything, he'll be able to go to college. And you saw his two little sisters, he'll be able to take care of them. It's a big amount of money. Um, that he's going to inherit. So he doesn't even know it. That's going to be a real thrill when that happens. Go on. This is Benjamin. He's he's one of the children that was so terribly abused. Uh, He's one of 12 brothers and sisters. And the father never abused any of them, just him. And he's not the first or the last. He's right in the middle. And his father would beat him so severely that he would have to be hospitalized. And uh, the reason he lost his eye is that uh, took a a metal rod, a rebar, and stuck it in his eye. And so he lost his eye when he was seven or eight. And then the father beat him so badly about a year ago that uh, they brought him to... uh, He was in the hospital three months. They brought him to us in an ambulance. And that's the day that he came to my house. And uh, 
One of the things that Dottie and I wanted to do was this. Dot, he got him a new eye. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's the moment he's in the, he's in the chair. The guy, the doctor has just stuck that eye in there and he just saw himself in the mirror, you know, for the first time. And he's just so proud. And, and I, I went out and I found a stick and I brought him a stick and I said, you're going to need this to keep the girls away from you now. You know, so don't, don't ever put this stick down, boy. Uh, but that's Benjamin. And you can look at that smile and just so horribly, horribly abused all of his life. And now God has blessed him. You know, he's, he's not different. He doesn't look different, you know, and he's a very good student for someone that's never really studied very much and, and et cetera. But, um, someone told me this morning that, uh, they wanted to go on the mission field when they were younger. And one day they were in church and a man had a prophecy for them, a husband and a wife. And, uh, he laughed at the prophecy like most of us do sometimes, but he said, uh, the prophecy the man had for him was, you will never, uh, be in the front, meaning you'll never go on the mission field. You'll not be in the front, but you'll see to it that others are on the front, that others will go. And he said, I didn't even have any money then, but I decided that I was going to listen to that, what that guy said, and I just started helping missions. And now he talks, he was telling me this morning about how God has blessed him over these many years. And now he's, he's almost my age, and God has blessed him all these years. Not everybody can go. But you know, everybody can do something and you don't have to give money, but you can pray and you can, you can think of these children. You can, you know, if you jot down names, you could just even write down some of the names that I've given you and think about those kids and pray for them every day. You know, it's a miracle what God has done, but we need more miracles to keep them alive. Go on. For those of you, this was my dream. See, I thought if I could take care of about 12 kids, I'd be, hmm. Pretty good. But this is what the Lord did. That picture, no, wait. That's 527, this one right here, 527 kids. And I want to tell you something about it in a moment. (laughs) Red and blue is our school color, so... Most people said, I can't find my sponsor kids. So we put the girls in red and the boys in blue, and you had a 50-50 chance of finding somebody. <laughs> you know. But when we had that many kids, 527 kids was the most we ever had at one time. Uh, we had 27 Carloses. 27 Carloses. So we couldn't, you know, you can't remember all the Hernandez and the Goch, you know, all that stuff. So we, we numbered them. So we had Carlos 1, Carlos 2, Carlos 3, all the way to 27. We could remember that. And I took one to the hospital because he was sick. And the, they, they were taking his information. They said, what's your name? And he said, Carlos. And they said, what's your last name? He said, seven. <laughs> you know, so he actually was checked into the hospital, you know, siete in Spanish, Carlos siete. Go on. I think you have to hit it twice. We're about through, but there it gives you an idea of what God has done. 4,260 children. And uh, God has blessed. Go on. I just have a couple of more that I want to show you. Go on. This is Hoseas and Haiti. We married them last December. Uh, Hoseas is just a... He's a lawyer now. He graduated as a lawyer. 
And he had to do a case. You know, in order to do your, your last stage, you have to do a legal case, go through the court system. So he came to me one day and he handed me a birth certificate. And the birth, birth certificate is, it was Hoseas Belshazzar Clark. So for his, <laughs> his legal case, he changed his name. You know, so that's pretty cute. I wish he'd just taken Michael and not changed his last name, but he did that. But here's the story I want to tell you. Go. This couple, um, many of you go back a long ways with us, and the girl is Celia. Celia was a little girl at 12 years of age, came knocking on my gate, and she said, I want you to take my sister's. And I said, well, I can't take kids without court order. You know, what's wrong? Where are your parents? And she said, they were murdered. They're dead. They were killed. She said, I work in a Korean factory. She was 12 years old. I thought she had just started. That was her third year. She started working in the Korean factory when she was nine. And she was working in this Korean factory. And she said, I can feed my sisters who were younger, but I cannot educate my sisters. And if I can't educate, if they don't get an education, they're going to be stupid like me. And it just crushed me. It just broke my heart. So I immediately took her to court and I said, wouldn't you like an education? And she said, that's more than God could do for me. But we took her to court and the courts gave her to us. And now uh, she's graduated from college. She's an RN. She's back in college. She's working for us full time, studying at nights and on Saturday to become a, a social worker. And uh, But that's Celia. The boy she's marrying up there, we had a boy a number of years ago. His name was Byron. And Byron was probably, you know, if I had to rank the top five Christian godly young men we've ever had at Casa, Byron was one of them. And uh, one one night, he was feeling bad. They took him to the hospital. I wasn't there. They took him to the hospital. Hospital said, well, come back on Monday. It was a Saturday morning. They said, come back Monday, and we'll do an MRI. So Sunday, I got back, and and I went in there to where he was, and he was laying on the on the couch and had a headache. And, and I just talked to him a little while, and I leaned over, and I kissed him, and I said, I love you. And he said, Daddy, I love you too. And then he had an aneurysm during the night, and he died. I had to tell the mother, and I didn't want to make, go to the house. I called the mother and asked if she could come. When she came, this is Victor Hugo. That's her, Byron's brother. And there was another one by the name of Eddie, two, two younger than Byron. When I told the mother that Byron was dead, she absolutely flipped out. More than anybody I've ever seen just go berserk. And she started screaming in front of Victor and in front of Eddie, my son, my son, my only son is dead. My only son is dead. And I turned to those two boys immediately when she started screaming like that. And I just saw their color just, I mean, they just lost their brother. You know, they were in the dorm where their brother had just been found dead. And then she comes and just, my only son, and just crushed those two boys. The two boys became horrible, almost impossible. They weren't like that before, but they almost came, became impossible to deal with, just horrible. And eventually, I had to move them. I had to put them back with the mother. And uh, 
So after about a year or so, uh, Victor Hugo, who was then about 16 or 17, uh, he called me and he said, can I come to church? So he started coming to church you know, on Sundays with us. And then eventually he stayed a couple of nights and that kind of thing. And then he gave his life to the Lord and his brother Eddie gave his life to the Lord. Today he's a, he's a supervisor. He didn't finish college. He didn't want to go to college. But he's a supervisor of a call center in Guatemala City. Makes very good money. And this is their wedding in December. We had those two weddings in December. And this is a miracle wedding. This is one of those situations where, you know, you live your whole life to see things like this happen to your children and how God can, you know, sometimes your kids seem like they're so far away from God. If you go to Guatemala and you ask my children, who is daddy's favorite Bible character? Every child, every child will tell you it's the thief on the cross. He's my favorite character in the Bible. Because in a sense, we're all thieves on the cross. God gives us an opportunity and time to make a decision that will forever change our eternity. And I love the story of that man because he couldn't go to church and he couldn't tithe and he couldn't get water baptized and he couldn't do anything except believe and remember me this day. And Jesus said, I will remember you. Today you will be with me. And when I look at my victors, the dozens of victors that we've had and the hundreds of others that God has just pulled out. I remember one time I was I was here, you know, and Francis was preaching and and there was another man that was there. And I, I think it was the old guy that couldn't read, McClellan or one of those guys from Mississippi couldn't read. And God had opened and given him wisdom to be able to read. And and uh, he walked over to me. He didn't know who I was. And he walked over to me and he says, I see you with one foot in hell. Reaching down and pulling children. From the grips of Satan. And I want you to see that God pulls our children from the grips of the devil. Never give up. Never quit believing. Never quit trusting God for your children, for your family, for your situation. And I have one picture left, Dottie. A number of years ago, I was building a church for a pastor, one of the first churches we built. And the pastor had seven or eight kids, and they lived on a dirt floor, you know, typical Mayan children, dirty, filthy, no shoes, living in that squalor. And when I finished building the church, I was talking with the pastor when we dedicated the church, and I said, you know what, we want to build you a house. I want to build you a house, you know, that has a concrete floor and indoor plumbing, and, you know, we want to build you a house. And what he said to me shocked me. He said, I don't want a house. I don't want you to build me a house. And I was kind of offended, you know, because here I was going to do something like that. I thought that was pretty neat. And he looked at me and he said, I don't want you to build me a house. I want you to educate my children. So we took all of his kids, except for the baby, to our home. And we've educated them over the years. 
That was the the youngest of the bunch. And our second youngest, I guess, of the bunch. Jacob is younger. But some of you remember the story of the little girl that was forced to drink Clorox. That's how her father disciplined her, was make her drink Clorox until she would vomit, go into pretty much a little coma for 20 to 30 hours. And that's how he controlled her, you know. And then when she was nine years old or eight years old, her mother ran away from home. And when she ran away from home, she left the little girl in the house. And the father started to rape the little girl. So a few weeks later, the little girl ran away from home. And her story to me was she walked until her shoes fell off her feet. And a woman found her on the side of the road, and it happened to be a pastor's wife, brought her home and cleaned her up and gave her food and led her to the Lord and then took her to court. And they brought her to us. When she was 13 years old, I was asking the children, what do you want for Christmas? You don't guess with 450 kids. You know, what do you want? And she wouldn't answer me. All the other kids gave me their little list. And so everybody left except that girl. And I said, well, Candida, what do you want for Christmas? And she said, all I want is for you and Mommy to adopt me. So we adopted her. And so the little boy from the village that, you know, the pastor didn't want a house. He wanted his son to be educated. Is now an ordained minister, has been to seminary, been to college, has pastored for three years, and now has married our daughter, Candida, a couple of years ago, three years ago, and they pastor the church on our property. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is actually the beginning of the story because they were told it was impossible for Candida to have a baby that her womb was unable to provide for a child. So look at the... Looks just like the grandfather. That's her. So I can't think of a better way to stop. But if you can fast with us one meal and pray for us for tomorrow, you know, I'm I'm always amazed at what God does. Sometimes I leave my house in the middle of the night and just walk around the property. And I go to the dorms. We have these huge dorms all over the property, you know, about 18 acres of property. And I walk to the dorms. And I kind of sit down and think and try to remember the boys and the girls that grew up in those dorms 20 years ago, 15 years ago. For the wedding, we had over 100 of our children came back with their children you know, so we had more grandchildren than any anybody deserves to have or really needs to have, but whatever. But we had all, all these kids came back and because of what God has done in their lives. You know, what Jesus has done, what Christ has done. Somebody asked me one time, Mike, you know, boy, you, you've really made a difference in these kids' lives. No, the kids have made a difference in my life. You know, if Daddy and I wouldn't have gone to Guatemala, you think God would have said, oh, shoot. No, somebody else would have gone. And somebody else would be telling you these stories. And somebody else would have been having these blessings. 
So never, never stop what you're doing. Be consistent. Be strong. Because just like the song, God is constant. God is only good. And you know what? All the time. All the time.